listeners of the TDLA podcast. Yes, I'm talking to you, Doug. This is episode 41. That's right, somehow these two crazy dudes have managed to keep this podcast afloat for two years. And they paid me extra this week to include a heartfelt thank you to all those who have been listening for this whole time. But today, dear listener, marks a milestone in the two dudes in L.A. journey because today the dudes welcome their guest, John Grise, to the show. John has acted in some incredible movies and TV shows such as Napoleon Dynamite, Taken, Lost, and he plays the lead character on the Adult Swim show Dreamcore LLC. We hope you enjoy this fun and amusing interview with John Grise on this, the 41st episode of The Two Dudes in L.A. Podcast. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. With <laughs> Fou et <du. laughs> Which hey. means in French, two dudes in L.A. Oh. <laughs> oh, really? Well, fou et du means actually two crazy people. Yeah, together. that's about right. When, <laughs> I'm two, down. when two people get together, you know, like Bonnie wouldn't be Bonnie and Clyde without Bonnie and Clyde getting together. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. Fou et du. It's, fou a, it's a mentality, and I, I agree with that. crazy <laughs> by two. Crazy by two. There I like go. that. There you go. Something That's like awesome. that. Anyway, I'm not a, I don't speak French. I just, uh, voulez-vous. Voulez-vous. Yeah. Hey, guys, guys. This is nuts. I am so excited, if you can't tell. Like, He's excited about the bird. Yeah, very Pablo about the bird. is a very famous little Yes, dude. we got Pablo here, guys. I know. It's crazy. This is why you're all tuning right? in. Pablo. When, when Watson and I started the podcast, he was like, how cool would it be if we got a parrot as a guest? Yeah, yeah. The Pablo. I'm basically just the handler. <laughs> exactly. Guys, uh, welcome oh. to Two Dudes in LA. Uh, I'm your host, Sean Fawson. I'm, I'm Alex Watson. And uh, today's a special day Fawson because... Fawson and Watson. It's like a bad Ooh. law firm. <laughs> bad law firm. Fawson They're ambulance Watson. chasers, actually, folks. <laughs> I never realized how well that rolls off the tongue. Yeah, Fawson, Fawson and, and Watson. Watson. <laughs> yep. Too bad you guys aren't songwriters. Okay, here we go. <laughs> no, not even close. So if you, if you guys haven't noticed, there's a third voice, and oh, it's gosh. not the parrot. <laughs> <laughs> that would it, be cool. It is the great and powerful John Grise. Everybody, yeah, give, everybody. give John oh a round of applause. God. We have, oh. we have fake, fake applause, applause. here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. You got that many people that stay up late and watch the garbage? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean, first off, thank you so much for just sitting down and doing with us. Like, as you can see in the yeah, video. Yeah, you got to blow me later. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. I'm good at it. Uh, so my mind. Oh, people, people are going to get the wrong idea. <laughs> get, there's already like trolling saying, is John Grice gay? Oh, no. Because <laughs> he doesn't have a girlfriend. Uh-huh. Well, you know, in this day and age, it's not so easy. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. It's just, that's just how Hollywood works. People who, don't, who aren't out here, they don't understand. So. Yeah. I got a girlfriend. He's right here. There you His go. Pablo. Pablo. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're here and we're in, we're in your beautiful studio. If you're, if you see the video, you can see all this, like, I'm so excited to jump into this. Uh, cause I, I, I'm a, I love instruments too. I don't have as much as you, but I love different weird instruments. So I'm excited to get into that. He was kind of showing us, I mean, I guess he showed do, you do already. You so I play guitar, uh, and, uh, well, not as much drums as I wish, but, and then ukulele. Oh, I know ukulele is pretty oh, easy. I love but, ukulele. It's yeah. beautiful. It's the first thing I ever played that was a string instrument. Oh, really? Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I still don't know the chords, but I just used to sit around and riff out on the yeah, ukulele. Yeah, that's what's that's what's great about the ukulele. You can just <laughs> touch the strings, and it and it it's sounds good, beautiful. It's good to just pick up and play. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jam an instrument. Yeah. yeah. 
So let's just like get into it. Yeah. I'm so pumped. What, what, we got we're what the fuck, dude? Questions. We're into it. <laughs> Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Fucking swear. By all means. Yeah. Because fucking swear. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So if you guys aren't familiar with with uh, John, he's a. Uh, I mean, I guess I should just let you do your own intro. No. Here. No. <laughs> I can't. You know what? If you don't know me, it's okay. You'll you'll figure it out. <laughs> Stay up. Look, I'm 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 off the grid a little bit. I'm not. I'm kind of an independent uh, dude. Yeah. I don't do a lot of studio films. I don't do. A, I'm, I've never. I'm, I think I've done in my whole career probably seven or eight. You know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So so a lot of uh, independent stuff. Mostly independent, you know, or television right now. Dream yeah. Corp LLC. Which, right. Yes. Which will which definitely are, absolutely jump into that. So badass. Excited. That show is so good. And <laughs> I just love just it. think, you have only to look forward to seeing it because it's so good. Yeah. And you just never know what's gonna. <laughs> That's what happened on that show, and the animation is super cool, amazing. Yeah. Rotoscope, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Beautiful rotoscoping stuff. is is like they film it and then they draw they, over the film. Yeah, so yeah. Cool. it's it's actually I think it's it's one of the oldest forms of animation, and it happens to be uh, probably the most expensive and time consuming, which is why the show airs each season is like two years apart sure. from the season before, <laughs> but. Um, uh, it is the first television show, I think, in television history to be a regular series that oh, wow. that utilizes rotoscope. But by the way, the whole show is not rotoscope. It's it's live action right. mixes with rotoscope. Right, which yeah. is my bread and butter. I love that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I love the concept. It's uh, I I guess, and you've probably heard this this relation, but it's kind of like the Matrix, right? You start in one world and then you plug yourself into another world. Yeah, and I. It's, Whenever it's, we go, it's a dream therapy chamber yeah. is basically what it is. And when somebody wants to come in and get fixed for a rectile dysfunction or smoking yeah, or quitting smoking. You know, whatever, <laughs> chronic hemorrhoids. Whatever it is, we go into their dream. I go into their dream and work out their problems. Problem is inside the dream, it's freaking crazy. It's yes. chaos and so super cool. random. And then and, and like your staff is all just super incompetent. Totally. <laughs> Totally. I mean, it, 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 it's, um, it, it kind of is like The Office in a very odd, without, you know, looking at the camera and talking to the camera, uh -huh. but it has this completely dysfunctional, well, amazing I mean, cast. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, you guys, you guys have had some incredible people come in on the show. I mean, Craig Ferguson oh, and... Yeah. I mean, the list goes on. Mary, Marilyn, Marianne Reichshaw. Oh, I love her. Amazing. So it's definitely check it out. If We've you actually had Liam Neeson too. He did his voice at the end of the at, at the last episode of season one. He just put his voice in for wow. us. Wow. Well, that's and, and cool. you've you've also worked with him on yeah. the Taken movies, Taken. right? Right. Yeah. That's yeah. why I asked him. I said, "Hey, buddy, could you do this?" And he was so <laughs> cool. He was like, "Absolutely, just send the footage to me." He was making a film in London. He got the sound man to put him in an ISO booth. He did Damn. it, and he loved it, and he just That's said, so "Hey, cool. just donate to my charity." Which oh, is really, nice. really, really cool. That's, so That's cool. a fair trade, man. He's such a good dude. He really is. Dude. You know, despite you know how he got involved in that little moment where he said something, he he he. It wasn't really meant to be a racial epithet. He was just being emotional, and sure. he wasn't thinking, uh, you know, that how that was going to be perceived. Yeah. Because I know him; he's not in any way. He's. Completely. I've only heard great things about him, yeah. like from stories of, of people who've worked with him. Well, so. this this like cancel or call out culture, it, it it's I I like the mentality of it, but it's it a lot of people can are taking it too far. Where it's like you need to understand that people sometimes we just say stuff 
And then we're like, oh crap, maybe it came off the wrong way. Or it's, or it's, but it's already too out late. Of context, yeah. yeah, completely. You know, yeah. and unfortunately, with like celebrities, it's imprinted forever. Yeah. Like that's what sucks. Like there's so many people. Microscope, out there. dude. Yeah, it's a microscope. Yeah, so many yeah, people out there say some terrible stuff, but they but they have the fortune of like not getting heard by billions of people. But yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. So, but you're also a cool dude. I've only I just met you. You've been super nice to us and yeah, like letting right. us come in here. Thank so you for having us. Let's kind of start, if you don't mind, like back where. Let's go back to let's the go beginning. Back. Yes. Oh, sure. How, how much do you remember? <laughs> but you're uh, from California, correct? I was born in Glendale, but my family moved to New York when I was five. Oh, so I okay. Went to public so you... school in New York till I was about ten, and then back okay. to L- t- nine or ten, and then back to L.A. and then school here and then back to new york on my own when i was 18, oh wow okay acting gotcha. so is new york you still consider new york your home or la your home no la is my home my home okay. is i live in this house uh new york has changed so much you know um i'm glad that he's being outed now because mayor giuliani mm. is a prick <laughs> yeah. it's just i don't know what else to call him yeah, he's an for asshole sure, <laughs> and he was even as a mayor he, yeah he he gentrified he, he single-handedly I think turned New York City into what it really was kind of secretly always about. I mean, it's always been about yeah. the money, but it's been such a beautiful multicultural yeah. mecca and a beautiful melting pot. And one of the reasons why creatively it's, it is still, you know, re, you know L.A. is catching up sure. still, but it's, it's been the plenum for a long time creatively in yeah. this country anyway. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, he, he kind of, he he kind of turned it into uh you know like universal city walk as yeah, opposed to sure. right. kind of gentrified it so it's a little bit whitewashed for me yeah. and honestly uh you know it still has its amazing people and it still ha- it just has an it still has that amazing grit but oh, the way yeah. it was growing when i grew up there yeah. man it was so cool and yeah. and what what part of new york were you were you in? well i was all over i mean when i went back and i was studying acting i lived in alphabet city before that became super gentrified (laughs) i mean they had the Tompkins square riots and all the squatters and all that stuff when i was living there but you know as a little kid i lived on the upper east side which was lovely you know my father it was i i you know one of the reasons whenever i go back i like to go visit the upper east side is because because it was already set so so deeply in its own you know, ilk, its own stone, mm-hmm. it's not really changed as much as all the other places. Yeah. You know, Soho and all that stuff are completely different from when sure. I was a kid. It was Soho was just loading docks and, you know. Oh. <laughs> I mean, Soho's still beautiful. I mean, I, I, I no, nothing against Soho, but yeah. like places that were funky, like Times Square, are just not the same. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's they a giant so, theme park, like you said. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I, I, I liked it for its edginess and, and, you know, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I just think the guy's a, a doofus and i always felt like he was and the minute he got rid of all he was like trying to get rid of all the hot dog vendors on the corners oh, i was like geez. what are you doing it's like a mainstay oh yeah or the guy selling chestnuts d- during christmas it's like no we have to get rid of them what? Like, what? yeah exactly. wow that's crazy so he already i mean so for me whenever i go back to new york i have a great nostalgia for it yeah. you know but it was uh it's different yeah, I mean everything changes. I mean it's not you know I don't want to be like one of these people like oh my you should have seen it back in the <laughs> back in the day <laughs> last <Yeah>. century. <laughs> so you said you went back there to study acting? acting. Yeah. yeah, where'd you go to school? 
I studied with Stella Adler. No way. Oh, yeah. For real? Yeah, yeah. With <laughs> wow, her, that's with, awesome. With the lady herself. Wonderful, wow. wonderful shit. experience. And uh, How long were you, were you studying with them? Probably, I was with her probably two and a half years. Two wow. and a half uh, years. I ago. hear it's brutal. Like, is it is it pretty brutal as they say? I mean, I'll just give you one story. Yes, I remember please. I was sitting in scene class uh-huh. and sitting next to me was Harvey Keitel. <laughs> And uh, Terry Garr was on stage doing a scene. I mean, there was it was a lot of amazing people. Yeah. And a, a lot of talent that I never saw again. You know, like people that I'd be like, wow, I'm in awe of this person. Uh-huh. Where did they end up? I don't know. Some people end up becoming like just uh, lifelong students or whatever. I mean, which is fine. You should always be learning. But I remember looking at Harvey and saying, are you going to get up there? <laughs> and he goes, fuck no. <laughs> Because she was so tough. And here, yeah. he, I mean, he had already done, you know, Taxi Driver and he'd done The Duelist wow. and uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And that was pretty, still pretty, but he was still young Harvey. Sure. You know? And he was like, wow, that's interesting. That. You know, <laughs> yeah, she could be really, really tough. You know? Wow, that's yeah. cool. So like what, what made you, because you said you went back and forth. So what was the moment that you were like, I need to get to New York and study with, with Stella Adler? Well, she, she, I was in, in L.A. knocking around. I'd quit school. I'd, you know, I tried to play baseball, and, and I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, you know, college, junior college. I mean, I, they kept me around for a while, uh-huh. and then I, they, I, I actually quit. They didn't really send me away, but I knew I wasn't. I knew I was a bit of a brick, so... <laughs> So I um, I went to a class. She taught a summer class in L.A. Oh, okay. And I knew that was where I wanted to go. I wow. wanted to go, come here. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> oh. You're a good dude. Oh. You're such a good dude. Yeah. You, you smell like you've been eating something funky, though. What are you eating? <laughs> Were you eating something in the, in the tree? So, yeah. So, uh, and I went there to study with her. But then the first six months I was there, my father died. Oh. in LA so I flew back and then I lived in LA for another six months and then I went back to Stella's and yeah. then I was there for a year and then back to LA and then back to New York so I kept kind of going yeah. back and forth also because New York's expensive and I you know I had a job as a bus boy and that was good for a while at 15th Avenue downtown and then um, and then I the second time I was back a second or third time I was back I got a job as a waiter Okay. Right. You know, wow. I, was, I was a waiter on Broadway area, you know. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So. <laughs> That's so cool. So then what was, so that's cool. So, so you hire, you're getting amazing training from, some would say, the best. Yeah, one of the best, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And I was also moonlighting in a way because I was, I got an observer membership at the Actors Studio, so uh-huh. they allowed me to come. So I was watching Lee Strasberg, but meanwhile, Stella Adler was like saying, <laughs> This, he's the worst. He's really? The oh yeah. So, but oh she didn't gosh. know. If she'd known that I was going over there, she probably oh sure sure she would have been upset. Wow. But I just funny. wanted to, I just wanted to see what was going on, and then they invited me to audition for the actor studio, which was really sweet, and because they didn't know me, I hadn't done really anything at that point, uh-huh. and uh, I, um, but I I just thought I, the path of least resistance. Sure. I'm going to go back to Stella's because I'd been there mostly. You know? Gotcha. And was, was the stage what you were drawn to at first originally, or has it always been movies and television? I don't... No, I love movies. I mean, movies... Mm. Television is interesting, and it's certainly better now than it, than it oh, was. Oh, for sure. And television yeah. was always kind of junky, you mm-hmm. know? Right. Uh, it was always movies, but 
I I thought that you know I would go to a couple places in Los Angeles and they they the material that they would use in the classes was always for lack of a better word, pedestrian. It okay. was movies or TV, stuff that people knew was too iconic culturally. It had been too widespread, whereas Stella Adler would never use that kind of stuff. You yeah. know, we'd, we'd be uh, um, you know, doing Ibsen and Strindberg. <laughs> sure. And, well, you know, things that you really got to gotta really work on, on deciphering. And she also had one of the greatest... Um, script and her, her greatest class was her script interpretation so Dude. it was really you know i don't know it was really that's cool. cool okay so what are some what got you like what are some movies that inspired you as a kid that you were like yeah i want to i want to be in those well i don't know like you know when i was really young i was really i didn't i didn't even really know who marlon brando was mm-hmm. but i remember <laughs> seeing viva zapata oh and i remember oh. thinking that movie to me as a young kid was was so inspiring and uh and i remember you know I, I i was not a good student and i had a little black and white tv set that my parents should never have gotten for me because <laughs> everybody'd go to bed and the movies would be on late yeah and i would put it out down in the bottom of my under my covers and i would just sit there and watch <laughs> movies all night and i was not a comedy fan at all i uh-huh. never watched wow. i was really into serious films like yeah. really heavy dramas thrillers or fantasy films so oh, the okay. original baron munchausen the original uh-huh. yes. not the one from the 80s but the one from the 60s uh-huh. was hugely influential to me nice. and you know that was like ah. So to me, in a weird way, Dream Corp is a little bit of that. Sure. Oh, nice. Oh, and, that's cool. And so I, I was always that. like, yeah, if I want to, I want to do that. If yeah. I'm doing something, that's what I want to do. Wow. But I didn't really think in terms of being an actor. I mean, I, 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 I was a bit of a juvenile delinquent, and so I just knew, I just knew I didn't want to work in an office. Yeah. <laughs> right. For sure. And I had a girlfriend who, when I was in high school, some photographer took a picture of her on the front lawn of the school. And uh-huh. Next thing you know, she becomes the cover of Seventeen magazine, and then she oh, becomes whoa. Mademoiselle. And she, so she embarked on this incredible career as a model. Yeah. And then I would go visit the set when she was like doing commercials and stuff, and I'd be like, "Yeah, man, this isn't." Oh. Or when my father was a director, right? Yeah, right. yeah. So I would. You know, even though my parents divorced when I was 13, I'd go visit him all the time. You know, we were close, and I loved... He did a couple of Charles Bronson films, and it was really cool to yeah. see these work, you know, like hang out with them while they were working. And, you know, um, it was a... It was a you know, it, it felt kind of like home. So when I went would go with my girlfriend, I'd be like, yeah, I know this. Yeah. This is, this is cool, you know. Familiar, cool. yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of the, the choice that made me say, yeah do I go this way or do I go that way? I was like, fuck this way. I'm going to go that way. You know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, like, so when a lot of actors start out, they end up taking like commercial gigs and stuff. But what were, did you, were you down for that? Or were you kind of like, nah, not, not really Interesting for me? Interesting question. I, um, I got a job, uh, in like the little period between 
the first New York trip, my father passing away and me coming back out here and living in a house with my brothers and kind of recovering. So for that like six month period, I got a job as a camera operator oh. in a commercial casting office. Okay. Nice. <laughs> and I, I would go to, you know, like not one office. I do dip, a lot of different places. Yeah. But when you're the camera operator, it's all on like big three quarter inch videotape. And so then afterwards, the clients come in and you have to sit there and just kind of fast forward and show them everybody. <laughs> yeah. And these guys, uh, mostly men at the time, uh -huh. but once in a while there'd be a woman. But they would be so disparaging. Interesting. Derogatory towards sure. the actors. Huh. And I remember thinking, no fucking way am I ever going to do that. Yeah. I'm never going to come in and put myself in that position. So That's good. I never did commercials. I never did a commercial. I did. Uh -huh. I, I should say I did one. My the girlfriend who was the model was was the con contracted by a big Japanese uh, cosmetic firm, and so she was going back and forth to Japan. And when they came to L.A. to uh, visit for some other job, the lady I'll never forget her name Akiko Agishi, <laughs> she said. Would you like to be in a commercial, a Japanese oh. commercial? Whoa. <laughs> and I was like, all right, because I needed money. Sure. <laughs> She's like, it's only $50. I was like, that's okay. $50 is great. I was always broke, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it, the best part was we filmed it in Hancock Park. It was for a cutoff short jean type company called uh -huh. Cheekers. Really, really <laughs> meant for women. Uh -huh. So Cheekers. I was the only dude in the hot tub with like four other girls, all topless. <laughs> oh, wow. We were drinking real champagne. Whole crew was Japanese. So there was a, no, you know, barely a, a, like, you, I did you go, go, ladies, go, 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 you know, like that's Miscommunic. pretty much. So yeah. it was great. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, yeah. So we were getting plastered sitting in this hot tub tub wow. and wow. then at the end it's like oh hey everybody stand up uh, and uh, toast you know and uh -huh. so we stand up and toast and of course i'm wearing these cheekers and all my <laughs> junk is hanging out <laughs> oh, man. one side and they're like oh yeah this is so funny and i was like oh yeah okay so but I never, uh, I never saw the commercial, and I was dang. 19, and my hair was, you know, bald now. I mean, look at me. <laughs> my hair was down to here. And wow. Was, you know. And so... Um, That's a great way to make 50 bucks, being in a hot tub, hot tub and you know, drinking. With <laughs> naked girls. Yeah. So they, so they air... They aired topless girls on commercials in night? Japan. Wow! Yeah, they don't. I didn't know that. Japan is really, really uh, lax as far as nudity. Kind of like European too. Yeah, yeah interesting. All right, <laughs> come here, you girl. You come here. Aww. You're an eclectus. <laughs> wow. So that's cool. So I mean, so what was the what was like maybe a defining moment for you where you're like, like, because I've heard from other people that like there's a moment where you're like, oh, like I am. This is now. A career that I am constantly making money like what was the is there a certain gig or was there a yeah, certain moment absolutely uh well I I had come to LA and and I wasn't going to go back to New York not because I didn't want well interesting I went back to to a, a one class of Stella's that was the, the the most amazing class script analysis and I thought I'd take it again and the interesting thing was like you see how this room is not too big mm -hmm. uh the classroom 
was maybe twice the size of this when I studied the first time with her and took the class. Okay. Then I guess the New York Times did an interview with Robert De Niro, and he said the best class that I'd ever taken was the Stella Adler Script Analysis oh, wow. class. Oh. So when I went back to New York, she was teaching in a synagogue, and there was, I mean, she was a little spotlight on the stage, and there was probably a thousand people. Whoa, in there. yeah. And so it was like, <laughs> I mean, a good recommendation. Yeah, yeah. No, it was great for her. Oh, sure. <laughs> but yeah. we had an amazing exchange when we were, do, you know, yeah. I'd be sitting in the front row and we'd talk about things. Sure. You know, we would talk about. Yeah. But there was no more exchange. It would just be, okay, so, you know, she would do this thing with her mouth. <laughs> On the the first thing about the relationship between Torvald and, you know, and going on. So wow. it, 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 it didn't have the same luster it didn't have the same romance so i started looking for a place in los angeles to study and there was a lot of places that i went and they were not you know they just like you you have a a kind of a paradigm sure when you study with someone like that you can everything else just doesn't (laughs) you want to go back in the aviary i only brought you in here so you wouldn't make noise (laughs) (laughs) he wants to tell a story too bathroom you were you weren't there. <laughs> you were only you weren't even born. You were still dead. Uh, um, so I I started studying Meisner out mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. and uh, in the first month that you know, and I'd been working construction. I've been working a lot of construction jobs for three different builders, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, I didn't know anything, but I knew I had a you know, kind of a proclivity to, I was pretty good. I had a sense of it. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, um, I, I had an audition. Well, they, they called me f- for a film called Real Genius. Okay, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was supposed to audition for a character named Kent, who mm-hmm. was the bad guy, who was brilliantly played by Robert Prescott. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, when I read the script, I, my, radar hit laszlo okay and i just said called my agent and i said i i don't want to read for kent i want to read for laszlo he's like no i mean these people called and asked specifically for you to be kent you can't just like i said please request could i please read for laszlo Uh (laughs) and so he did and they said yeah no problem so i came in and read for laszlo yeah kept I think I had like five callbacks. It kept bringing me back and bringing me back and bringing me back. And then I got the job and I never had to go back to work in construction. Wow. After that. And yeah. that was that was that moment. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, and so since then, you have quite an impressive resume. I mean, you've been I mean, in I don't know. It, there's a lot of garbage in there. I mean, you know, <laughs> there is. I'm not going to lie. But I guess, you know... The best way I would suggest to anybody to get into this is mm-hmm. to do as much work as possible. Sure. Training is great. Training helps. It's very important to get on stage as much as you can. It's important to, to put yourself through the paces, but there's nothing that takes the place of work. Mm-hmm. And, and work is like you got, it's like, you know, I played in a lot of bands too, and there was always this standard. Mm-hmm. It's like, Rehearsal's great and very important, but one live performance is probably equivalent to 10 or 15 rehearsals because you've got 
to push through. There's no yeah. stopping and going, wait, where was that again? You just have to, no matter what, yeah, for sure. you got to do it. And so it's the same thing with when you're working on film, you, you have to do it. You gotta, you gotta man up, you know, mm -hmm. and, and get there. I, yeah. I relate to that because uh, Watson and I decided to. Well, he I guess he's been doing it for a while, but we're we're getting into stand up. Yeah. So you just you got to put yourself out there and get the stage it's time. Absolutely so, right. It's something. Uh, no other way. My, my my hats off to you guys because I've never done it. <laughs> really? I, no, no, I don't think I would. It's nerve wracking for sure, but you just you grow every time, you know. Absolutely. So. I'm more character driven. I don't know sure. if I could go up as me. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. If I, I maybe I don't find myself interesting enough. <laughs> you know, uh, I I just uh, I don't. I could do it as, as like you know how like Stephen Wright comes up as a character. Sure. Maybe then I could do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, some people cool. they they create a character. There's a there's one guy that we find that see, we see this redhead guy that's like it's obviously not the way he is. Yeah. But yeah. but he's nailed this. He's I don't know how Found he figured it out. Yeah. 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 Good man. character. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, let's talk about music. You kind of brought that up. So like where did where did that come from? Has that always been music? Has always been big in your family or? Well, yeah. My my. My grandfather, who who is not my uh, my real grandfather, passed away long before I was born, and then my grandmother married a guy named Muggsy Spanier, mm -hmm. who was a famous jazz musician. I mean, Muggsy, I don't, I got a picture of a poster of his somewhere in the studio. I don't I know think where. There's one. Is it there? Yeah, that's him. That's over there? So like back in his day, he was like. I mean, I you know he was like the Peter Frampton of his okay. time. Yeah, you know, like yeah. he had his niche, and that was his thing. And uh, so he was an influence. And then my uncle on my father's side was an amazing pianist named Buddy Charles. And he could have done the whole world circuit, but he wanted to raise his family, so he became like a staple in Chicago. Amazing, amazing. You can find him on YouTube, Buddy okay. Charles. Ridiculous. Yeah. But he just kind of did it all with a tip jar and did his thing. Wow. On the other side of my family, my cousin plays bassoon with the L.A. Chamber Orchestra. My brothers, my oldest brother Peter and my brother Stephen, were playing in bands when I when I was, you know, they're, they're, Peter's Peter was 11. He passed away. He's 11 years older than me. Stephen's five years older than me. So uh, they were always kind of this amazing influence. They were always playing in bands and ridiculously talented. Yeah. Both of them, just ridiculous. Okay. And so Stephen would always rope me in to like work on songs and I would write songs with him vocally. I would just, you know, I'm not a good singer, but I would get by, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> and then I just started picking up the guitar and playing and then, you know. So, you know, and I still am kind of shitty, but I can write a good, a decent song. I really yeah. can, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I've been around it. I mean, like, my brother Stephen was, um, you know, this is historically shit that people who are a little older or a little more music knowledgeable will understand. But he was uh, in the 70s. His band was so good, but they were such... They were rock stars before they were rock stars, unfortunately. Mm, so they yeah. kind of put the cart before the horse. Gotcha. But they were being produced by a guy named Mal Evans, who was the Beatles road manager for years. Oh, and he, wow. From the beginning. He was a bouncer at the Cavern Club. So he was throughout all the studios of the whole career of the Beatles. Wow. <laughs> and like, you know, would play tambourine or play, you know, they always say, Mal, you go do that. Uh -huh. <laughs> and he was... You know, he obviously learned a great deal because there was a lot of time in the studio. And so Mal was producing an album with Keith Moon, 
okay. who was the drummer for The Who. Uh-huh. Right. I was like, Keith I Moon had a solo album called Two Sides of the Moon. Now, Keith Moon was a wild man. Uh, he was one of the, the preeminent rock and roll wild guys. Mm-hmm. True artist. <laughs> Amazing drummer. Yeah. And, and, and really an incredible showman, but also a, a wild man. And my brother got to play... You know, Mal, Mal was producing Keith's record, and since he was my brother's band's producer, my brother's band was called Silverspoon. He basically said, "You guys are going to be the the band playing for the record." You know, wow. well, that was in the beginning, and then everybody came and played on the record. I mean, gotcha. John Lennon, and, yeah, and Harry Nielsen, and <laughs> Ringo, and uh, Mickey Dolenz, and uh, Alice Cooper, and I could keep going because <laughs> yeah. I was there in the studio wow. with all these crazy people were coming in and out wait like you were in a room with john lennon yeah what yeah see now here's an interesting here's the worst part of this whole story okay (laughs) so about five years ago i was at a guitar store and i look over and there's john sebastian and john sebastian was the guy who wrote the tune for welcome back cotter that's welcome back and then people let me tell you no that was harry nielsen people let me tell you about my best friend Uh and then um and he was also in The Loving Spoonful, which is like, hot down, summer in the city, city yeah. back of my neck. Yeah. Getting right. So he's been around forever, and he was playing on that record. And I remember him being in the studio, and I, I walked over to him while he was playing a guitar. And I said, I don't, I know you would never remember me, but because <laughs> we talked when I was, I was only 14 or 15 uh-huh. in the studio, you know. And I said, uh, I met you. And he goes, oh, yeah, really? Where? You know, kind of like, oh, okay, another one of these uh-huh. <laughs> And I said, uh, well, it was at the old record plant. And he went, his his attention kind of went, brute. <laughs> and he was like, really? Oh. And I said, yeah, it was on Keith Moon's. And he jumped out of his seat. <gasps> he goes, holy shit, you were there. <laughs> I said, I was there. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, I talk about this all the time. <laughs> Nobody knows. Like, people don't realize that, that it, it became the kind of the quintessential rock and roll album because of. Keith's craziness, because of Harry Nielsen's craziness, because of all the people that were coming in and yeah. going out. Because I saw some shit that was wild at that age, <laughs> and it changed. Well, one of, hence one of the reasons I have a studio was sure. because of being in that studio. Yeah, and right, <laughs> and so um, he said, "So you were there? You were there on the big day when Harry Nielsen came in?" I said, "Yeah, you were there." And and I remember Sean Cassidy was there, and Mickey Dolenz, and Alice Cooper. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, Harry Nielsen and John Lennon. And I said, wait, 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 what? (laughs) I said, Lennon? He goes, Uh yeah, yeah, Lennon was there. I said, well, there was like three cats that walked in with Harry Nielsen. He goes, yeah, one of them was Lennon, Lennon, right? (laughs) Wow. So here I was in the room with John Lennon (laughs) in the same room. Yeah. There were a lot of people there, and there was a lot going on. And I was the the kid, so I was kind of like, excuse me, kid, we got to move shit around. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And everybody seemed like they were all having little conversations. Mm-hmm. But I kind of was just like, I, they all knew each other. They're all musicians. Yeah. I was just like this kid hanging around. So <laughs> I call my brother up and I go, hey, you remember the day that Harry Nielsen walked in? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, Lennon was there with him? <laughs> He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> I said, hold on a second. Wow. I was in the room. He goes, yeah. <laughs> Why, you didn't see him? I said, 
It was a guy that walked in with a like a like a little bib cap and dark glasses, and he looked small. Uh-huh. Like I, you know, <laughs> sure. Harry Nielsen walks in a room. He's six foot four. He's blonde. He's the tall guy. He's bigger than life. Uh-huh. You can't help but only look at him. Sure. Everybody else looks like just people. <laughs> and <Wow>. awesome. <laughs> so I was like, I was in the same room with John Lennon. He was sitting off, and I'll never forget. I can see the image of Harry standing at the microphone, and over behind him were like these three cats, kind of just talking to yeah, each other. Yeah, wow. and one of them was John Lennon. So wow. I, I was in the same room, and I never met him. Wow, sucks. <laughs> no, nah, so you. I mean, you're still been in a room. None of us. <laughs> a lot of us haven't. Yeah, no. And wow. this was during his dark period. This was during what they would refer to as his, uh, you know, his. Uh, what was it called? Uh, the what was the movie with? There was a movie about a guy who was uh, who who I can't. Was he with Yoko at the time? No, no, he'd okay. broken up with Yoko and he was with May Pang. Oh, and he was out in L.A. It was his lost weekend. They called it his lost oh, weekend. Lost he actually weekend. was thrown out of the Troubadour one night for getting what? drunk and disorderly, and they threw him out. Oh wow! Like wow. John Lennon was thrown out of a bar in L.A. <laughs> It's a true story, but he Whoa. was he was uh, yeah. he was in his lost weekend, and and then then he got back together with Yoko, and then everything went on right. and made the next record, and then didn't live too much longer. Right, unfortunately, yeah. wow. Yeah. So, what are some of your uh, you know? I kind of mentioned the movie inspirations. What are some mov- uh, music inspirations? Though? So many, <laughs> too many to call. Like, yeah. You know, I love the Philadelphia soul type sound and the funk sound from Ohio, and I love uh, Little Feet. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I've had so many influences. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, when when you're playing the what, what was this one called again? The 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 pedal steel. The pedal steel. That uh, one of my favorite uh, musicians is Jack White. Yeah. And there we were talking about. I'm, I'm not that big of a fan, but that's oh, okay. Oh no, it's, it's good. But we, we were talking about. See, he uh, like <laughs> no, he's all right. I, I he's not. You know, I, I guess maybe I saw that movie. Let's get loud. And yeah. I was like you don't deserve to be sitting in that chair. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, back at that time for sure, because it was it was um, Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page. And so was uh, it Jeff Beck? Or I think the it edge. Was, uh, the, the edge. edge that's and right. It should have been Jeff Beck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not fair enough. Not yeah. Jack White. Yeah. That, yeah. Sorry, but. No, but it was interesting. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> Not you. Sorry, but you got to earn your stripes. Ooh, it's <laughs> just the way it is. And just having one song sung at every sporting event does not make you earn it your is stripes. My least favorite song. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> well, it's basically it's a theme song from a from an old science fiction. Right. I mean, it's a it's a, like a fifties driving. You know. Uh, that's true. I, I shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> it's all good. Are, it's out now. He but, doesn't uh, listen to this podcast, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But so, what, what other what other stuff you listen to, or what do you listen to currently? Um, I just bounce around. You know, it's great to have vinyl because I think that throughout the evolution or the de-evolution of music, uh, you know, when when records were being made, there was surprisingly as as difficult as it was to get on labels for certain bands i mean there was a very strict protocol but there was also just a myriad of different kinds of music that was being recorded worldwide and then when it moved to cassette it's like well we don't need to make that on cassette and we don't need to make that so things oh. little by little by attrition started to get kind of yeah. kicked aside and then cd's kicked aside and then 
iTunes, forget it. Mm-hmm. You can you can't even get great. You can't even get all of Elvis's. You know you you know they go. Oh, we'll just do the the shit that you hear over and over sure. and over again on yeah. the fucking radio. So you know yeah. it's kind of it's 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 a it's a perfect name for Clear Channel to clearing everything out mm-hmm. because they they there's a I mean I, I I'm using Clear Channel in conjunction with i itunes because even though they're they're not one and the same they kind of are yeah yeah so so like you said we're we're here in your studio you've been you've been in this location for about 20 years yeah um what's what's like what's gone down in this studio i just i'm curious <laughs> okay, like i'll tell you so you know who mark ronson is Probably producer who he produced Amy Winehouse. And oh, for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Mark Ronson was a DJ, and got his first job producing, co-producing with, with a, a friend of mine who was producing a record, and he and Mark got together. So basically, Mark cut his original teeth, so to speak, with an actual producer because Mark was really knowledgeable music-wise. He's, uh-huh. He comes from a fa- family, and his, his stepfather was a foreigner. I mean, he he's not a stranger to music. Sure. And he has a really good sensibility, and he really knows beats, and he knows sound. But he was still green at the time. And Justin Stanley, my very good friend, who was using this back room mm-hmm. to... Pr- I, I, let go of that. <laughs> to produce... I saw him looking at that mic. I was like, <laughs> what's he going to do? He wants to go somewhere else. I think he wants to take a dump, and he doesn't want to do it on my shoulder. You want to get up on the on the thing there? But anyway, so Mark Ronson produced his first endeavor back here. Wow. And so, wow. and Justin was such a hard worker. I have to say that there were nights, because they were doing Nika Costa's record, and, and I will say that there are nights that I came back here at like three in the morning. And there was a couch here, and Mark would be asleep on the couch, and Nika would be asleep on the other side of the couch, and Justin would be sitting here working. He's just one of those tireless guys who just sure. doesn't does. And he's, you know, he's since then he's produced Eric Clapton and wow. uh, Cheryl Crow, and, and and he does a lot of people, but yeah, a, a lot of amazing people. I mean, he's he's got ridiculous ridiculous ears. Um, but so Mark Ronson, Nika yeah. Costa did a record here. Um, there's a I gotta remember this girl's name. Well, Ryan Bingham, Ryan Bingham, who wrote the song "The Weary Kind," okay, for wow. for Crazy Heart, <laughs> right. lived wow. in my house for eight months. So okay. before he got signed to a record deal, we would sit back here and write stuff. Wow. And he, you know, basically, he wrote a lot of his first record in my house. You know, <laughs> wow. And uh, and did he record from from this or was well, it digital too? No, we no we didn't. Do, well, no, when we would. I don't have digital back here, right. so when we were recording back here, we would just record on this or the other machine, wow. and we would just record stuff, you know, yeah. just goofing off. And like I said, nothing gets finished here; it only gets started here, and then people take it or go. I go somewhere else, and you know, gotcha. Well, it seems like a fun environment to just mess around, you know. Like yeah. I experiment. I always dream about when I have my own place, like almost like having a man cave thing, and I just this this just seems like a great. Well, it is eclectic, <laughs> but at the same time, sorry. It is eclectic, but at the same time, it's um, it's uh, it's a little overwhelming. I can't wait to kind of hone it. I mean, I look, I, you know, nostalgically and romantically, I love it, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I I I want to get a cleaner sound. Oh, no, sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So you throughout your career, you're you're going. I mean, you've done you've done Lost. Yeah, you've done so many great stuff. What what are some of like your favorites that you've done? Uh, 
that you kind of like think about when you're kind of reflecting on on your career? I mean, you know, I will say that uh, I, I feel really, really fortunate to be where I am because right now, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, but I'm still kind of the side player. You know, I'm still I know. I mean, I, I have no illusions about who I am in my career. Uh, but because I'm on a show that I love mm -hmm. and I love doing and I love the writing and mm -hmm. I love everything and the, the cast, every the director, Daniel Stesson, who's the showrunner, who, you know, and Stephen Merchant. How yeah. do you go wrong yeah. with people like that? And John Krasinski, who's our right. executive producer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I couldn't ask for, you know, I mean, that to me is like, okay, Coen Brothers or this. Yeah, this <laughs> is just as good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's, absolutely. I'm, I'm at a place that, uh, you know, I couldn't, I, I, I feel like, you know, how did I, mm. how, me? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, it, it's a really, it's an amazing thing to be able to be doing. And I love playing the character. So, you know, that, I, to be, you know, it, it's like, I, I have always said like, I was being interviewed the other day for a newspaper and the woman was talking a great deal about Napoleon Dynamite. And I said, you know, it is a a very complete film. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing that I would say, yeah, let's change that. Like, I feel like that film, it, 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 it precludes me from watching it and going, huh? Mm -hmm. Like I can't, be critical of that movie i can't even see that i'm in that film i watch that film i'm a fan uh -huh, I, I guess i awesome. should just say for the audience you played uncle rico yeah yes. <laughs> yeah yeah so i i watch that film i don't sit there and go oh look at me in this film why i'm that's why did i do that i don't even <laughs> see me maybe it's the wig i don't know <laughs> i don't wait see that me. was a wig <laughs> dude i'm bald so uh you know uh but so I was saying to this woman, I said, look, you know, like, I remember seeing Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and saying, mm -hmm. thinking, that's such a perfect, complete film that he does not have to do anything else mm -hmm. because he's made that incredible performance and that incredible movie. And I just said, no, much smaller scale because it's not a drama and it's not as heavy and it's certainly not as popular and amazing but it still is very complete to me. Mm -hmm. Napoleon Dynamite has this, you know, it's this nucleus, of, and it's so perfect in its, in, its, in its way that I feel like, yeah, you know, she said, what's changed in your, in your career after that movie? And I said, I don't know what's changed in my career, but I will tell you that I kind of just got more relaxed mm. because I felt like I had done something that I, I was proud of and that... I love the film, and I love that it has this extended life that continues. You oh, know, absolutely! We keep doing these performances, we've been flying all over the country and screening it, and you doing just did a fifteen-year tour, right? Is that yeah, what that was? Wow. Well, we're still doing it. I mean, it's still going on, wow. so it's now wow. a sixteen-year tour. <laughs> but um, and selling out like fifteen hundred seat venues, people are coming, and new generation bringing kids that had, that weren't even born. You know? Yeah. And, you know, the film engenders such a positive thing, and that's really why I love it as much as I do. It's a really positive movie. And uh, so I, I think that, you know, that's definitely like a milestone, and Real Genius was a milestone. It changed my life as far as not having to, uh, to uh, w go back to 
you know, swinging a hammer, yeah, framing sure. and doing all that stuff. Um, yeah. So I mean, but but also because I can look back on those films and I do. We just showed Real Genius at USC about uh, six months ago. Martha Coolidge and I. She was the director, an amazing woman, and uh, and the film was uh, all kids who hadn't seen that film and even though technologically it's way way you know like the you know the special effects are pretty uh, <laughs> pretty you know uh-huh. cheap but they loved the film and awesome. the film holds up really well and it's a, it's a good movie yeah well um i i was uh i, I was trying to think of questions to ask you last night and there's really just one that came back to mind because you were talking about how you took a class about scripts it was one of your favorite classes so I was, kind of, I was just kind of curious, what's your thought process when you're looking at scripts or choosing a project to get involved with? Is it, I mean, obviously there's things like the character that you're being cast for, who's the filmmaker, but like what, what are some things that you take into consideration? I mean, you know, it changes. Uh, I think nowadays, you know, I've been offered a couple of good movies. I mean, la- last year I got off after we finished uh, shooting season two of Dream Corp. I got offered a lot of movies. But I didn't do them. I didn't want. I just had a feeling I needed. I was tired. It's first up. That's the one thing. Dream Corp is is like seventy three hour a week. It's a demanding cool. schedule, yeah. especially for me because I'm that guy that's always got to say stuff. So even at yeah. the end of a day, I got to go learn the stuff for the next day. It's sure. Kind of a, it's like a. It's like running a marathon, but it's an amazing, exhilarating experience and so perfect. I could do it all year. I it probably would kill me. <laughs> but I. But. Um, I think that when I, you know, I don't know, when I read um, Napoleon Dynamite, I just, it just struck me. I was laughing out loud before I even got to Uncle Rico. I was laughing out loud just with the relationship between the two boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I will say that that script is n- very little improvisation. Maybe it's, that script is, everything you see, it's like wow. 99% of that script. It yeah. was beautifully crafted by Jared and Jerusha. Yes, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, that that film by the time i got to uncle rico i was like i was already in when i started reading him i was like oh yeah i'm, I'm definitely doing because my manager when he sent it to me was like not my present manager it was an old manager he said you don't want to do this they they don't have any money who are these people wow. who are they interesting yeah they're offering it to you you have to go to idaho i said <laughs> shut up and let me read the script and i read the script and nice. i was like you I called him back. I said, you tell him I'll drive there. Wow. I'm, in. I'm in. Yeah. That's so great. That's so, so cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I, we're on the subject a little bit and I don't, I don't, when we have guests like you, like, you know, who, who are known, you're known for a lot of things, but like, your uh, IMDb, I, don't dwell... I think has over 150 credits. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't want to dwell on like... some of them are like fake. <laughs> okay. I didn't put them there. Sometimes <laughs> people go, Oh, will you do this movie? And then they'll write it down uh... and they'll say, Oh yeah, he's going to do this film called The Knife Thrower. How many years ago did that guy offer me to do The Knife Thrower? Like 15 years ago. It's like, dude, make the movie or shut up, but get my shit off. Sure. And you can't get oh, it off wow, IMDb. Yeah. yeah. You know? Okay. Well, and and like I I really wanted to talk just a little bit about Napoleon Dynamite cuz we could talk to you about a lot of things, but like The Hesses, I love The Hesses. I'm from Utah and like 
I have eaten at their house. Like they were kind enough to just oh, like lovely. they found out I was a filmmaker lovely. and they were like, "Come eat at our house one time." And I interviewed uh, the Hesses uh, for uh, one of their movies at Sundance. Like they're awesome one? people. It was for the one they did after Gentleman Broncos, which was I didn't see it. I didn't see that. It one. was pretty great. Yeah. It, it's really fun. Um, His sensibility is amazing. Both of them. Yeah, they're, but they're, they're they're such a great team. Great team. And, like, she, and she directed a film, you know. She, yeah. She, uh, uh, Jerusha, wrote wrote and directed a film. You know, if you could uh, interpret that, uh-huh. it'd be like, listen, I got some things to say, too. <laughs> yeah. You've not seen this guy walking around the house in his underwear. <laughs> what, he knows why did you bring about, me you know? in here if you don't want to hear what I have to say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You're a good boy. You're a good boy. Yeah. Good boy. Good boy. Yeah, so I, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit because, like, I remember in middle school, like, you you mentioned One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Niche, which is, you're right, it's just a perfect film. Yeah. It is brilliant. Yeah. But I would dare to say that there are some people nowadays who, if you said, hey, have you seen Napoleon Dynamite or One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? I'm sure there's actually a lot of people nowadays who would say, oh, I love Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, but don't know One Flew Over the Yeah, Cuckoo's which is very unfortunate. Tragic. I'm not trying to de- bash tragic. it. Yeah, it is no, it's so tragic. good. It's the, probably um, one of the greatest films ever. Ever uh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Ever made. So here's Absolutely. the deal. If you're listening to this and you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, you have to see One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest. That's <laughs> and just, just understand uh-huh. that the pace of Napoleon Dynamite, uh-huh. one of the reasons people like the movie is because it doesn't choose a very modern pace. Mm-hmm. Whenever we do these talks, people say, so when was this film supposed to be? No, it's it was contemporary. Yeah. He, he was talking online, chatting with babes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a contemporary film. Yeah. But part of the reason, A, the music helps because it's a For lot sure. of vintage or, you know, yeah. uh, hip, older film uh, music. But but also it's the pace that mm. the film does not sell out for that, that, that adulterated, you know, like MTV co-opted pace. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All of a sudden, music videos, everybody started cutting movies the same way music videos were cut, and it's, it lowers, slows the, screws the attention span, absolutely. whatever you want to say. But Napoleon Dynamite opted to, to go with that pace that really is indicative of a film from the 80s or the 70s. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand that watching One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, like watching Being There, which is another amazing Being movie, okay. you have to allow yourself to just get into that rhythm. So turn off your fucking phone, <laughs> throw your computer in a fucking drawer, and put it on, put, cut out the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love when a filmmaker can capture a mindset and and bring it to the screen correctly, like like Wes Anderson. You know, it's like you're inside that person's head. Absolutely. So yeah. I, and I, Jared I, does that for oh, sure, without question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think he, you know. Listen, he had his 23rd birthday while we were making Napoleon wow. Dynamite. So you know, Stella Adler always used to say to me when I was fucking up in class, she'd say, and I thought, oh, I'm 18, I got the world ahead of me. She uh-huh. would look at me and she goes, Keats died at 26. <laughs> Oh well, she would say, you "Better hurry up." Yeah, Keats died at twenty six. Get it done, <laughs> man. Yeah, so I just wanted to like bring up the fact, like I remember distinctly seeing Napoleon Dynamite for the first time. I was in middle school. I bought a ticket. I don't know why they sold me one because when we walked into the theater, there was no seats. It was so packed in Utah yeah. that. We had to sit on the steps. I'm sure that was a fire hazard. Yeah. That, that movie struck a chord with us Utahns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. people were like, people started dressing up in moon boots, and people started to like. Yes, <laughs> they come to the shows dressed up. I yeah, mean, that's us awesome. adults, <laughs> grandparents. One of the, again, just to 
say one of the reasons why the film to me is such a special <laughs> movie is that you know you know Joey Pantoliano the actor mm. Joey Pants mm. come on you've never <laughs> seen The Matrix oh of course Risky <laughs> Business yes with yes. Tom Cruise oh yeah who was Guido the Killer Pimp in Risky Business oh. Joey Pantoliano okay amazing actor <laughs> yes. and you should all know who he is okay <laughs> you've seen him in a million movies and he kind of talks like this he's like yes. Jonathan he calls me up he's like I gotta tell you something. This fucking movie, I haven't been able to watch anything with my kids. They fucking take the couch and watch their shit, and I don't watch it, or I watch my shit, and they don't watch it. He goes, This fucking movie, we watch together. And that's when it first came out wow. in DVD. That's and awesome. He was calling me, and I was like, going, Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Now I go to these shows and. It's like the grandparents are standing there going, yeah, we introduced the kids to them, and now they're grand, they're, my grandkids are into it. I mean, like, <laughs> the whole gang is there yeah. to watch the movie. Wow. Inherently nostalgic without being directly attributable to something that you might have experienced, but it still has a universal truth. It's accessible, kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So was that the moment for you where you were like, oh, man, Napoleon Dynamite, that's, that's big, was when your friend called you, or was there a different moment? No, at like, Sundance. Sundance, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah That's awesome. Which, of course, is I'm going to I'm going to take well. credit for something here because nobody yes. knows this. <laughs> so, Jeremy Kuhn, who was cutting the film, mm-hmm. by the way, amazing editing job. Overlooked, amazing editing job. Yes. He did it on his own. Okay, this guy had oh, wow. never cut a movie. Wow. He was in his little apartment in West LA and he used to call me going, hey man, if you're not busy, could you just come over and hang with me and just like watch some of the stuff I'm doing? Because like, <laughs> That's awesome. I could tell he was a little unsure of himself, but he, at the same time, extremely confident. Yeah, yeah. So I would sit in the editing room with him a lot. We, I would go there a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And we would, and I'd bring friends by to look as the possibility of maybe getting somebody to make a poster or maybe to do the music because they hadn't gotten j- Swihart yet. Mm-hmm. And so we were just like looking at it, thinking. And But every time I brought a friend over to see it, they would be laughing the whole time. <laughs> now, Jeremy and I were kind of like immune at this point because we'd been watching Sure, it. that happens a and lot. And I wasn't, I didn't edit it. He edited it. I, I was just like there as support, moral support going, yeah, that's cool, you know, whatever. And then um, he... I show up and he goes, dude, I just got a call. We've been, we have been invited to be the premiere film at Slamdance. Wow. Slamdance. Yeah. I said, don't. <laughs> don't do it. Sure. He goes, dude, it, it, they, they've put, put us on a time limit. I got to let them know. By right. I said, don't do it. Yeah. I said, get Jared on the phone. Don't do it. Yeah. I got them both on the phone. I said, it's, it's not, don't, it. Nothing against slam dance, but this is not a slam dance movie. Yeah. They want this movie. They want it as bad as they do. And they, they're giving you this time limit because they know Sundance is going to call any minute. And they were like, we don't know. I mean, we, we really don't know. I said, don't uh-huh. fucking. Wow. And, you know, I never, you, know Jer- you could swear with Jeremy. You can't swear with Jeremy. <laughs> don't fucking do it. Just fucking hear me out. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Don't do it. Four days later. They call Sundance. me and they're like, "How did you know, <laughs> dude? I just I had wow, a that's gut, great. gut feeling. You believed yeah. in it that I much, so believed in it, such a gut yeah. feeling." And sure enough, and for and for those listeners who don't know, Slam Dance, it it, it, it I believe is during the exact same it's time runs, as Sundance runs concurrently with Sundance. Yeah, and is literally like 
in the same location, Park City. Yeah. And uh, and it is like the little brother, you know, the little engine that could. And it's a really good. I mean, I've seen some amazing films at Slam Dance. Yeah. But I, nothing against Slam Dance. I just felt like the the platform of Sundance was way way too important to yeah. overlook in this case. And lo and behold, I mean, this is really probably the last great acquisition I think of independent film out of Sundance. Sadly, you know? yeah, Sundance. I mean, I I've been to Sundance now because you know I'm from Utah, like I said. But like, even in the past six seven years, it is it has changed drastically. Like you you will not get a film in there unless you got. I mean. Taylor Swift has a movie in there right now, mm-hmm. and like, uh, I mean, that's always going to be the way. It's yeah. you know, it's always it, it always did. You know, look any festival that has that kind of visibility. I don't want to slam them at all. No sure. pun intended. But, <laughs> but, but you know, you always have to bring in your big films too. Sure, you have yeah. to bring in you your gotta big sell films tickets. as long as you just like are able to, you know kind of wash both hands. I mean, you got to take care of some of these independent people, and mm-hmm. and I know it's hard. Like I remember. Trevor Trevor Groth was I called him once and he said because I had directed a film and I sent it and I said look it's not done it's not in any way shape or form near ready I said I just did this on a whim and he's like he said no look I'll look at it he goes I just want you to know I had 9,000 submissions wow (laughs) and I was like wait a minute 9,000 submissions yeah how many people do you have viewing these films, and how much time do you have to make your decisions? I, I, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. it's mathematically impossible. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It says a lot about yeah, <laughs> the just the the impression that it made on on the people at the time. That's yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. So yeah. well, it's it is still. I mean, you know that and can and and uh, and uh, I you know I guess Tribeca and and Toronto and and. Uh, What's the one in Colorado? Uh, help me. Yeah. Not sure. I don't, I don't know all the all the ones. Uh, but. Yeah, and it'll come back to me. It, I'll I'll scream it out in a minute. But, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I know that you've uh, if you had some stuff you need to do today, and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I just wanted to ask one more question about DreamCorp, uh, like the conception of the show. When it was created, was it created with you in mind, or? Or did they create the character kind of for you, or how how did that go with you getting? Here's your... an interesting story. Okay, back in the late '80s, early '90s, I directed music videos and and filmed music videos. I still have all my camera. I did rap videos. I did them for mm-hmm. Priority Records, right? Nice. So I had a pretty good way of lighting and shooting, and I, I had a good understanding of it. And the showrunner of Dream Corp before he had that opportunity was making a presentation for MTV with him in it. And he came to me and said, Hey, could you help me out? And I, of course I lit for him and shot some of it for him. And I think we ended up working 18 hours and he was like, dude, you're like, I can't believe you're doing this. And cause there was no money. I was just doing it to help him out. Sure, I didn't even know him that well. He was really friends with my girlfriend at the time. Uh Uh-huh. But I really liked him, and I always and I thought he was creative, and I was always I'm always inspired by really good creative people. It's always fun to work with them, and so it was perfect trade off. Had a great time, and then the girl and I broke up, and I lost touch with Stesson, and I went to believe it or not, Val Kilmer was having a beach party when he had a little <laughs> beach house, mm-hmm. and I went, 
with the, an, another girl, and I was there with her, and sure enough, I was walking up the stairs, and there's Danny Stesson standing there with Stephen Merchant. Mm -hmm. And Stesson looks at me, he goes, oh my God, <laughs> oh my God. He goes, I need to talk to you about something. Oh. And I said, okay. Uh -huh. And it was like, a, you know, I hadn't seen him in about two and a half years. And then um, he said, can I call you? I said, just give me a holler. So he called me and he was like, hey, I'm doing a pilot for this show on Adult Swim. I said, I love Adult Swim. And he's like, would you be interested in playing a character on the show? And originally he wanted me for Randy. Okay. With the <laughs> robot arm? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. Mark Proch. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Yes. It was just amazing. I mean, Nick Rutherford, is, they're all amazing. Ahmed Bruce. Oh, Good Neighbor stuff. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh, we love they're, Good Neighbor. These guys are incredible. Absolutely. Yes. Incredible. And uh, Megan Ferguson, who plays B in, in the second <laughs> season. Uh, and we have, oh, it's some incredible people. But, but I'm, uh, uh, um, so what happened was, he called me about four days later and he said, um, listen, uh, we found a guy to play Randy because Mark had come in and read and clearly <laughs> he said, but would you be interested in playing Dr. Roberts? <laughs> and I was like, uh, hold on, let me just kind of worry about this for a minute. It's <laughs> the lead guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, man, I'll do it. But I was scared. You know, it's all creating a new character. You know, anytime you get a character offered to you and you haven't read for it, like Uncle Rico, same thing. You know, it's like a dog worrying a bone. You're going to try to figure out where to put it. <laughs> You're always trying to figure out how am I going to put it? Who am I going to put it? You know, what am I going to do? Yeah, you know? for sure. And so um, I just worked on a physical thing and then saw Bob Ross one night on, oh. on television. And I went, dude, I called him. I said, Gotta have hair like Bob Ross. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. And he was like, "Well, are you sure?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta have. I, I want him to be like Bob Ross on, wow. on freaking speed and steroids." <laughs> and so he was like, "Okay." And so we went and looked at some wigs, and he was like, "Yeah, definitely." And then, and then, um, and then we, I just you know worked on the physicality, and and then you know kind of it all started to come together, you know. And mm -hmm. I found it to be very much like. Hard Day's Night, the old Beatles movie, oh, where sure. that British humor that they just throw things away. And that, <laughs> that was what I loved about it. And that's definitely a Stephen Merchant influence. But Daniel Stesson created this show, writes most of the episodes, even the episodes that are written by other people, he kind of rewrites everything. He directs every right. episode. Right, I noticed he directed. He, he, he cuts every episode. I mean, even though wow. they have editors, yeah. he takes over and just does, he just knows his vision. Yeah. Nothing, because the other editors are amazing. But he really does. His hand, the whole his hand is in wow. everything. The music, like he brought in Chad Van Galen, who does an amazing score. Yeah, Chad Van Galen, <laughs> who also came up. Chad Van Galen was the guy who designed Terry the robot. I mean, Chad Van Galen's a musician from Canada, who is kind of a, a bit of a recluse. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, relatively unknown here but leave it to daniel stesson he finds those people yeah because wow. he's so tapped in and so just he's you know the reason i love doing that with the stuff with him is because he's he's in it he's yeah in it. the guy's always in it he's mm -hmm. in that creative zone and he's always 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 is never a, a break <laughs> right and you know one of the reasons we also got along was like he said to me i, I knew when you were shooting, my thing with me 
that you were never going to be worried about long hours, you know, mm -hmm. because I'm not. I'm, you know, when we're there and if it's a 16 hour, 17 hour day, we're doing it, dude. We're yeah. going to keep going. Uh -huh. I might get tired, but, you know, huh. you're down. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. <sighs> this yeah. is this has been <laughs> incredible. Insanely <John>. awesome. <laughs> Are you allowed to let it run this long on your podcast? Oh yeah, we can go as long as we'd like. I thought you were on a time. Yeah, crunch, I, so. I, somewhat. Yeah, I've got a, a buddy staying here, and we're we've been working on some music, and you know, so That's awesome. Fair enough. I I just had a thought about about Dream Corp because it's in the the twelve minute format. I think it could be a thirty minute show well, easily. <laughs> funny you should mention because Mike Lazo. The president of uh, Adult Swim, mm -hmm. you know, it's a coincidental that he happened to be retiring this year, and AT and T acquired all of Turner Network, which Adult oh. Swim is a Turner Network show. He's not leaving because AT and T was coming in. He was leaving anyway. He mm -hmm. was like, I'm, "I need to go live my life and play golf." <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, he basically told us this year, "Don't don't worry about twelve. 11 oh, so yes. there we have a couple episodes that are like 16 minutes like he just like was let it just go nice we have two episodes in season three that are really half hour episodes but they're broken up 15 and 15 oh, so cool. there's a commercial yeah. in between and then it then the episode okay. continues yeah. so the first and the last episode or the second and the last are long episodes and this season i've seen most of the episodes mm-hmm Oh my God! It's so so exciting. I Yay. just I, I, I just don't understand how more people don't know, and partly is right. Adult Swim doesn't have a huge budget for promotion. They have a built-in audience, mm -hmm. and they rely on that audience. And so, yeah. I get fan letters all the time, and and you know they ask me to sign mostly mostly Uncle Rico, but a lot of other stuff. And then they'll write a sweet little note and I'll flip the note over and I'll say, okay, quid pro quo. Uh -huh. I'm signing this shit for you. <laughs> you have to check out Dream Club there you LLC. Go. Yeah. yeah. That's the deal. Yeah. You, will, you will not be disappointed. Absolutely. It's, and yeah. if you do love it, you bet you have to tell a friend. That's nice. just like what I say. To them. Yeah. So, that's good. so I've sent out probably 150 letters. In oh, the last, that's like, awesome. Six months, you know. Well, then here it is. So if you've listened to this podcast, guess what? You're going to have to watch the show. Sorry. That's Dream the deal. Corp LLC. Yes. I'm telling you. I mean, yeah. I've got friends that I've just recently told about it, you know, of all ages, and they're like loving it. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it doesn't, it's not a real time commitment for those people that are like too busy on their phone. Yeah. Like it's on Hulu or adultswim.com. Boom. I'd, one of my favorite moments, if I could just, is, is uh, there's one guy that you're in, they're in the dream and, and shit's getting fucked up. So to try and take control, you start pouring shit on his face, yeah. <laughs> like peanut butter. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like affecting well, his we're, dream. We're, we're basically, we had created a machine, to, a sensory machine, yeah. you know? And so with the sensory machine, it, it puts like peanut butter on his face, like the smell of flowers on his face, fish, whatever, you know, like. I'm just like, how do you come up with this? It's yeah, so, Daniel it's so random and chaotic. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. It's, it's okay. amazing. It's amazing. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. I'm glad. I'd yeah. love any chance to, you know, we'll do this again. Oh, that would be awesome, man. It, it, it's great that you just let us in your studio and, uh, yeah. uh, Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> exactly. Is there is there anything coming up that you're excited about that you're working on or currently? Or? I'm supposed to be doing a, a film called The Myth of Matthew, which is based on the myth of Sisyphus. It's this uh, a Mexican director named uh, Rodrigo Sauda, I think. I can't remember his last name. And uh, 
but I don't know. We'll see. You know, independent films are difficult. Very, it's a wonderful script. Uh, and I did a film this last summer called Unicorn, which is not, it's a, it's a kid's film. It's about, okay. it's basically, if you go see E.T. Mm -hmm. and you change the boys to two little girls <laughs> and you change E.T. to a unicorn, it's the there same. There you go. Oh, All interesting. Right. <laughs> okay. I thought you were talking about the, the Rutherford no, film. No, yeah. no, 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 okay. I wish. <laughs> no, no, nothing against unicorn. It's, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. What have you put in my ear? Uh-oh. This guy's <laughs> always putting stuff in my ear. Well, cool, man. Once again, thank you so much. Like, please, like, if you ever need anything, let us know. <laughs> I feel like we're indebted yeah. to you forever. So. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to call you on that. All right. All right. Sounds thank good. you, everyone, for watching. Be sure to uh, follow us, uh, TDLA Podcast, on all socials. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, pa Pablo signing out too. Pablo signing out. <laughs> Pablo, let him know. Right. Yeah. Okay, guys. We'll see you next time. Peace. Bye. Thank you.